Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome back to The Spiritual Path. I am Kim Gilster, the spiritual synergist. I'm a life coach. You can find out all about me on my website at kimgilster.com. And today I have back on the show, Poppy Zula Soupy and Hello. Florida Boss. How are you guys Hello. doing? Very well, thank you. <laughs> awesome. I hail from Seattle, Washington, and Fleur, where do you come from? I'm in England, in the UK. Sunny mm. England. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we didn't discuss this, but um, I thought it might be useful as part of our introduction. If you feel comfortable, if you do not feel comfortable, you know, um, letting people know where you're at, um, you know, with your sexuality, um, you know, how do you identify, in other words? I suppose I could go first. Um, I think I've talked about this in previous shows to a certain extent, but I largely identify as queer. Um, I use bisexuality as sort of an umbrella term um, with pansexuality underneath that. For those that don't know, um, pansexuality largely means is that I am not attracted to people you know, due to their specific gender identity or, um, you know, their physical sex. Um, I'm attracted to people for their essence, as it will, as it were. You know, it's much more of a, you know, love exchange thing for me in that way. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that's about it. Oh, I'm also... I would say, you know, I'm somewhat demisexual. A lot of people don't understand that either, um, which means is that I do like to, or and I always practice any more some sort of a what people call an emotional connection. Um, but essentially, I need to, like, really feel, be able to feel the person's vibe. Um, I'm attracted to people who are more open um, doesn't mean that they're necessarily a potential for some sort of long-term relationship. Um, although that can be nice. Anyway, <laughs> so that's me. And Hafizila? Well, I am a cisgendered heterosexual male. I'm about as vanilla as they come. Um, I am really quite mystified as to why Kim invited me to share the show with her, uh, but I'm honored. Um, like Kim, I'm really much more attracted to the the vibration and the subtle energetic and mental sync than I am anything else. Um, body type is not particularly relevant to me in that re- with regard to attraction. I can say that much. Okay. And Floor? Would you and like me? to Yeah. Yeah. Um, my sex 
sexuality's kind of changed over the years. You know, um, first I was attracted primarily to women, then to men, then I was a lesbian for years, then I was attracted to third gender people. Um, now, my heart has opened up so wide, I feel more pansexual, which you were just talking about, is falling in love with a person, not a gender, which I remember I did feel in my early 20s as well. So I feel like I'm in a more complete space right now. Um, and I describe myself as polycurious because I am interested in polyamory, which is having multiple relationships. Um, but I haven't actually done that yet. So I say I'm polycurious. But yeah, I do feel a lot of love for people and it's not and it's not all sexual. And I think that really describes me really. Is I just Okay. I just love who I love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well the thing is is that I think part of the thing is people get very confused as opposed to what is like relationships and what is sex and, you know, all of those different things. Um, but yeah. we can definitely explore that today. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm I'm glad you of, are um, here. What is essentially as a, a mm-hmm. cisgender straight male. I'm really glad yeah. that you're here. Because, you know, we're all Absolutely. different. We're all different and we're all as important. And so of course we want you included in the conversation. Right. <laughs> because it doesn't mean and, and this is and this and this is something that I have learned, um and I feel like Poppy Zula is a very good example of that, that because you're heterosexual doesn't mean that you're closed off or because you're, you know, homosexual only. It doesn't mean that you're more closed off than somebody like myself who's more pansexual, right? It doesn't really work that way. (laughs) Well, it doesn't work that way when it works. Right. Exactly. It's just, you know, we're attracted to who or what we're attracted to in whatever moment of now we happen to be in. And, you know, from a lot of the research that I've looked at, the good research, um, it is found that, you know, people's sexuality um, is fluid. And it changes. And sometimes it grows bigger. Or like Fleur was saying, you know, I mean, hers went from, you know, back and forth to this and that and the other thing. Um, and that's not that unusual, particularly with people who are sort of more are more open to really exploring your authenticity. And as a part of that, also exploring their sexuality, as, you know, with that. Um, for other people, they may have decided that, you know, in this lifetime, I'm going to be homosexual, and you know that, but that, like, less capable of exploring all of the energies that be, because ultimately those energies are really inside the self, you know. Um, and I did want to say before we really get started, um, we are exploring questions on the show today, but um, what I normally do on the show and 
what I'm also doing today is, you know, spending the first half of the show um, talking about the subject and then taking questions the second half of the show. So anybody listening in, so you know, if you want to call in with your questions, it will be during the second half of the show. Um, And before we get, right, and before, and, and, one of the things that, that I first wanted to discuss about sexuality is there is no right or wrong when it comes to exploring yourself through your sexuality. Okay. Societies give us roles. Okay. And a lot of those roles have to do with sexuality. You know, that, you know, you need to protect yourself. Yes, you do need to protect yourself when it comes to possibly disease and things like that as best as you can. Um, that, you know, your sexuality should look like X, Y, Z because, you know, you're female-bodied or you're male-bodied or, you know, because you come from a certain class of people or, 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 or. I mean, the list of rules around what sexuality is supposed to be like vary from society to society. Um, and, you know, they're just miles and miles long. <laughs> but here's the thing. There really are no rules. It is what it is that you are comfortable with, okay? And also, you need to talk to your partners about what you're comfortable with and what they're comfortable with or not. Okay, because you, we do need to respect people's boundaries. We do need to get consent from people as to, you know, what it is that they would like to explore or not explore, what they're comfortable with, maybe what they're a little bit uncomfortable with or might be ready to explore at a certain time or not. Um, and these conversations need to continue even if we have, you know, like a monogamous partner or, you know, we might have a partner that's, you know, just, you know, people have what is fuck buddies, right? And there's no problem with that at all. Um, but our sexuality is fluid. And even within the context of one relationship with one person, it can change, you know, because mm-hmm. we're expanding and we're changing and we're exploring. Um and it's just, just, you know, really about simply making a conscious choice. Being more conscious in our choices within our sexuality. Mm-hmm. What do you have to say on that subject, Kathy Zua? Hello? Did I lose you? I, yeah, I'm, um, I agree with everything that you were saying. And I, uh, just because I have a a little more limited scope, I think just constitutionally, uh, I'm not particularly interested in having multiple partners, but I would consider being with a woman who wanted or needed to have multiple partners, uh, um, but just because I I live inside of a little more limited scope than a lot of people doesn't make my mode right, and I'm 
certainly open to the possibility of change. I'm always growing, I'm always changing, I'm working on myself. I'm doing a lot with regard to dissolving uh, unnecessary ego structure. And one never knows what can be revealed in that process. And the fact that at, at the level of spirit there is no gender I know the unions hate me when I talk like this, um, but at the at the at the level of 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 spirit of that of us which is self subsisting beyond time and space, which we were before we got these bodies, uh, which we are now in living reality at every breath, and which we will be when we get the cosmic eviction notice from physicality. Uh, has no gender mm-hmm. and the way that it expresses into manifestation through us as us uh, when we're not blocking it in some way by some uh, egoic uh, construct or rigidity is completely fluid. It's, it's, it's very, very alive. And part of the task of spiritual practice, of authentic spiritual practice, is to open up the, uh, our awareness of that movement between our felt identity and the boundless. And right. To allow I the structure to... Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm to allow that structure to become fluid mm-hmm. and to move and to change and to grow. Right. Absolutely. Which brings me to, you know, one of the subjects that we talked about discussing on the show. Um, a lot of people, particularly in the West, when they hear spirituality, spirituality within the context of sexuality, uh, one of the first things they think of is tantra. Um, and, you know, there are a plethora of people out there and, you know, they're teaching, you know, Tantra in one way, shape, or form or another. Um, and it's been my experience that it is largely under the guise of sexuality. But sexuality is only one aspect of Tantra. The word Tantra is the Sanskrit word, and it literally translates to weave energy. So we are constantly weaving energy, whether we're consciously aware of it or not, throughout our day, right? And Tantra simply recognizes and works to bring it into your consciousness. It is an entire way of life. It recognizes all of the myriad of different relationships that we have in our life and being conscious and aware of the energies that are being woven between us within our our direct interactions more than anything, sometimes indirect interactions, Um, because it does look at the collective 
and the collective interactions as well. The sexual aspects of Tantra is simply one way to experience that. The people who, you know, describe themselves as being empaths, okay, they're more conscious of this occurring. Okay. So being an empath unto itself is sort of a form of Tantra, if you will. But of course, this shows about sexuality, and so we wanted to, of course, explore the sexual aspect <laughs> of Tantra. Um, I see a lot of people out there, and, and by the way, this is something that came very, very natural to me. I didn't, I never heard the word Tantra until I was, I think, about 27 or so. Um, and it definitely wasn't something that at that time you heard about in the mainstream at all. We still didn't have the Internet. Well, we had it, but it was in its infancy. Um, so I was introduced to it because I was talking to one of my teachers um, and exploring these energies that I was feeling um, with my sexuality. And so she gave me a book about Tantra. And I began to more consciously explore it. Um, but it was, yeah, definitely something that came quite natural to me. I had already been, you know, previously practicing EDSM, something that a lot of people don't associate with Tantra, but it's very close to the practice in many different ways. <laughs> Very, very close. Because in Tantra, what are we really, we're exploring the interconnectedness of the energies between us and other people. And sexually, we're exploring that as well. Um, but sexuality can be a very powerful vehicle to really have us go deep. Now, we need to be in a space where we trust ourselves first and we trust the people that we're interacting with, right? But that's true in any kind of healing when you think about it. We don't go to, say, an energy healer or, you know, an acupuncturist, at least I hope we don't, um, that we don't have some sort of trust in, <laughs> you know. And this is true and should be true, you know, with our partners to a certain extent. Right, but ultimately, of course, the trust comes back to ourselves, and the responsibility of everything comes also back to ourselves. Right. So, if I'm in a situation and I get triggered by something, you know, within my sexuality, I don't blame the other person. Okay, and I've had. Situations. I think we've all maybe had a situation where, especially if you're female-bodied, where, you know, you've explained to someone that, you know, there's something that you're uncomfortable with and they will try to insist on doing this anyway. And this happens, I find, more often in, you know, for me when I'm interacting with somebody who's male-bodied. 
right? And yet I have, you know, unfortunately, people are female body, yeah, <laughs> as well. But at the same time, it's you know, I decided to go into that interaction, and I can pull myself out at any time. One of the things, in, and what you were talking about a little, or you touched on earlier, that a lot of people do is they gender their sexuality. And there's this whole idea that because you have an in or an out that, you know, you should have to behave in a certain way and that somehow this is somehow natural. Um, and one of those things that in Western society in particular, um, some other societies that I've observed, women are largely taught that they're supposed to be subservient, that they're somehow supposed to be, you know, especially if they're heterosexual, um, a vehicle of the male's sexuality, as it were. So women oftentimes get involved in things where, you know, and I used to be a bartender too, so I used to hear these complaints from women often, um, but they get involved in situations in, you know, relationships and having sex with men in particular where they'll complain, he's not doing this the way that I would like, um, or, you know, I feel like I'm being forced into this. And I'm going to tell you that I don't care whether or not, you know, you are in the midst of engaging sexually. When you have a discussion about consent, or maybe you forgot about that particular thing during the act of whatever you're doing, you ask the person and say, you know, this is not something that I'm comfortable with. And they keep insisting upon it. It's your right to walk out. This whole thing about blue balls and whatever, well, Oh, well, this person's not respecting it. Okay? Mm-hmm. Right. And if this person's not respecting you, is it a good boundary to just give up your self-respect and your self-power? It's not. It's not a healthy space to be in. You know, and it may feel uncomfortable and I've experienced it, and yeah, okay, for a second it can feel uncomfortable, but ultimately it makes you feel empowered. Again, there's still no blaming, though. It's not about blaming that person because obviously this person is ill-equipped to be able to handle the situation on whatever level. Okay? Um, so there's that. <laughs> And that has a great deal to do with consent, but at the same time, I find it, I do work with a lot of people in my coaching. We talk a lot about sexuality, Um, right? So I find a lot of women saying to me, you know, well, it's really hard for me to have an orgasm. And I find that that is largely due to the programming. There are, everybody's biology is a little bit different, and so you have to explore that. Um, And you need, okay, how can I start this? I recommend for everyone, if they haven't, okay, a lot of masturbation. And why? 
Because if you don't know your own body, how is someone else supposed to know your body? Absolutely. How can you mm-hmm. give consent, right, or not? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And women in particular oftentimes have a really hard time doing it. Mm. The program goes something like, well, you know, sex is only for your husband or sex is only for this guy that you love or or the person that you love and, you know, all of that. And even when they are masturbating, they'll tell me, well, you know, it's always having a fantasy outside of themselves. Nothing wrong with having those fantasies outside of yourself when you're masturbating. Absolutely not. But something that I discovered that's very useful and a very useful tool, not just of our sexuality, but to explore the self, is to masturbate and actually not have any fantasies. Just explore your body and what it is that really makes you feel good. Okay, and then beyond that, too, take some risks, you know. Perhaps, you know, you're a person and you're just, you know, and I, and I would like to explore this, too, with male stuff, with obviously law in a minute, <laughs> but because I don't have a male body, so I don't know what those feelings feel like. But, um, but if you're a female person, you know, in a female body like I am, and you're you know, maybe only capable of having a clitoral orgasm, you know. But you get into a space where um, you're having more and more of those clitoral orgasms and you're doing it deeper because you're not having it depend on something outside of yourself necessarily, except for maybe if you do it or something, Um, or water, you know. (laughs) It could be anything, food, right? Or we like food, but anyway, (laughs) food is good. Uh, <laughs> right, but um, but you're you know you actually start having those more you know all over body sort of orgasms, and what I find is that then it allows for other aspects um, in your physical body to awaken, um, mm-hmm. and you might be surprised at the fact that you're now actually able to have vaginal orgasms. Because you're giving yourself That's so true. I just want right. to mention Have you something. Had a great yeah, I mm-hmm. just I used to only be able to have clitoral orgasms. And it took me a long, long time to actually be able to masturbate with a dildo and not have a fantasy. Because I always associated a dildo with somebody else. <laughs> right? So mm-hmm. yeah. And once I could do that, I started having, or like, vaginal orgasms. And I started knowing exactly what I liked. Rather than right. that responsibility being on the other person, even in my own fantasy, it wasn't working, you see. So, yeah, I do know what you're talking about. And I wanted to bring that right. up because, right. yeah... Because pleasure, you know, is always so, can so be associated with another person giving you that pleasure. That's why I wanted to mention that, that even even pleasuring myself was a challenge in that context. 
But it can be done. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. And and how is it from the male side? Well, I only know about this male side. <laughs> um, I suspect, I strongly suspect that men have as much variability inherently as women do. It's just that, you know, men in general don't, you know, there isn't, there isn't a conversation that I'm aware of. Uh, well, there isn't even really a men's movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that there's been a women's movement for decades. Uh, I mean, a bunch of guys, you know, drumming naked in the woods is not a men's movement. I'll I'll know that there's a men's movement when uh, when men's um, business wear is not limited to suits and ties, that we actually are accorded the kind of creativity and expression that, that women are in the workplace with regard right. to a lot of feminists are actually help trying to push for that for men. Yeah. You know, I know that I try to have very open conversations about that, both with women and men, you know, because it's really important. But you're right, you yeah. know, I mean, so often, like, men are taught, like, not to, you know, they, they don't want to discuss sexuality either, right? Well, well just, here's, you know, this here's sort here's of... Here's your multiplier. Mm-hmm. Um, a woman can go into a restroom and, you know, aside from the fact that there's, you know, there's, there's often, you know, flowers and a couch to lie down on in the, in the, the ladies' room, which there aren't in, in men's restrooms, you know, if if you say anybody got a tampon, there will be six hands offering you tampons from under the partition uh, immediately, right? Men don't don't even make eye contact or look at each other. Mm. Right. Let, al- let alone discuss. <laughs> let alone discuss anything, right? And, you know, unless. Yeah. You know, unless you're going yeah. into the restroom yeah. with with a with someone that you're, um, you know, already have some relationship with, there's no conversation. The alienation is so intense, and the fear is so intense. This is not just expression. This is intimacy you're talking about, right? Right. Uh, yeah, no, it's a lack true. Of intimacy. It absolutely is true. Yeah. So men don't talk Absolutely. about this stuff. Absolutely, because when I, you know, yeah. even when men talk about sexuality most of the time, like, you know, having been in the military, oftentimes I was very much treated like one of the guys, right? Especially if we're sitting around drinking and whatnot. I'm with my platoon, and, you know, sometimes extended, but it was almost sort of like, well, it wasn't almost sort of like they very much treated me like I was one of the guys, you know. I mean, they didn't treat me the way that would they would normally treat, you know, somebody who's like weak or, you know, that sort of, you know, the whole gender thing. 
So I would hear them talk about sexuality the way the guys talk about sexuality. They were very explicit, and you know, but it was always this sort of like conquering thing, you know, oh, I'm going to hit that, I got that, you know, it was, it was never, you know, like Flo said, intimacy. Whereas when women get together, and trust me, every time, <laughs> to, you know, um, eventually the topic, you know, in a group of women, particularly with their friends, you know, stirs around to set. And we get very graphic. We talk about, you know, very detailed things that we enjoy and why or not, and we giggle and we, you know, we, we really do those things um, quite readily. And it's not just me. I've asked, you know, other women if, you know, when they're with groups of women, they have that, you know, et, et, et cetera. Uh, and I've always been really good to getting people to explore, but that's a whole different thing. <laughs> Right, and then the, another interesting thing was this, is that so men would come to my room when I was in the military, knocking on the door, because, you know, it could have been 15 minutes earlier, we were all together having beers, and, you know, they're talking all this big stuff about, you know, their girlfriend, their wife, and, you know, all of this, and a lot of it around sexuality. But then they would come to me and talk to me from a much more honest about a lot of their fears, about, you know, but they'd be much more intimate with me, you know, and then I would help to advise them in, in certain ways. Um, but, yeah, you're absolutely right. Men have this whole social construct, of, you know, with each other where they have to be tough and where, you know, oh, they don't want to be looked at as, you know, something might be homosexual. But what's interesting about that is this, is that in some other cultures, it is the men who are more intimate amongst each other rather than the women. I've met cultures Hmm. of people in India where it's very much like that. The, you know, one of um, my very dearest friends is from India. And, you know, we used to laugh because... He told me, he said, Kim, when I first came to United States, I did not know what being gay was. And my friend, who was also from India, <clears throat> instructed me that I shouldn't hold hands with him because people might think I'm gay. And then he had to explain to me what gay was. Because where he's from, men readily hold hands. They readily share intimacies and how they really feel about all sorts of things in life. Hmm. So these are constructs. (laughs) Yeah, they're not necessarily necessary, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're not. We're not born into a certain way of behaving. We're taught how to behave by our culture. And really, if you're going to go back to what Hafi Zidal was saying about the spirit being limitless. Mm-hmm. If you if you continue to buy into the cultural norms of your society, you're limiting access to that limitless spirit. I mean, Correct. and sharing the that. thing is, 
Mm. The thing is, you go by what gives you pleasure and what you love as your guide. So it doesn't mean that you have to be pansexual, you have to be polyamorous to be spiritual, and you don't have to be in a committed marriage to be spiritual either. It goes both ways. You don't have to go by cultural norms, and you don't have to go by being everything in order to be spiritual. You you do what you love and what brings you pleasure and a sense of freedom. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah. That's it in a nutshell, I think. Well, that kind of, like, is in a nutshell, right? Agree. Yeah, and, it's, and I think and part of, like, what we have a problem with our sexuality for is um, this aversion to desire. Mm. Right. Yeah. Almost as if one so, needs a selfish. That's something we're taught to. Pleasure is selfish yeah. and wrong. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but then shame what do we do? Yeah. Mm. But people with, you know, repressed sexualities often turn to other things. Right? They turn to food or they turn to alcohol or shopping or what have you, right? Uh, because the thing is, is that our desires can function for us. And our sexual desires can be a part of that. Okay? It's all about exploring it with awareness was saying, instead of trying to deny that I have a desire. So, you know, I may have a desire that I want to get whipped. I want to be spanked. Right? And it's really funny. A lot of people don't consider that to be BDSM. But it is. Or I want to be tied up. I want to feel helpless. And have someone ravish me, right? None of those things are inherently wrong. Okay, but or we pathological. Need to be conscious. Or pa- no. yeah, absolutely. We're talking about consensual sex too. Yeah, going back. Yeah, we already covered that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Consensuality mm. is very important. Consenting consensuality, yeah. very important stuff. Yeah. And again, anything that we're going to explore, especially this new, needs to be discussed about the how and how yeah. we feel about it, or what we think we might feel about it if it's new. Uh huh. Let me tell a story in that regard. So I was saying, you know, I'm pretty vanilla. Right. And a few years ago, I entered into a relationship with uh, a woman who was quite a bit more adventurous in some regards that I was, uh, had had more experience. And she talked about an experience that she'd had at Burning Man where there was uh, someone doing shibari, which is a, an outgrowth of uh, 
um, basically it's Japanese, um, very, very artistic knot work. So mm-hmm. taking taking rope, um, soft rope in this particular case, and tying beautiful patterns of knot work over the body. And then uh, in this particular um, thing at Burning Man, um, the person was uh, hoisted off the off the stage and in this in this harness of beautiful knotwork, which would take about ten minutes sometimes to to create and gorgeous gorgeous stuff actually and mm-hmm. um, um, you know and she talked about just how it felt first of all to be tied up in that way and this is all very respectful and the consent boundaries are very crisp and very clear uh, yeah, so it wasn't creepy that's something that I need to right. mention for right. you know in, in that regard and um, right. you know, and, and so she's, there was this harness and this um, thing where she would, would um, flung up over the stage like she was on a swing and she mentioned that, and I'm going, oh, that's pretty interesting. And um, and then when she told me the story the second time, I listened. Mm-hmm. And I was going, okay, she's telling me something here. So um, so I got some soft nylon rope and I coiled it up under the bed and the next time we were in bed uh, I pulled this out and the look on her face and I practiced some knots. I already knew a lot of these knots because I just know some things about knots and I proceeded to tie her up and for the first time I I began to understand the energetic exchange and the uh, this issue of boundaries and just who's in control and the very, very, very subtle, multi-layered, extremely nuanced, subtle, energetic conversation between us about who's in who's in control, where the boundaries are, a whole bunch of things, and it was like this revelation for me. It didn't do a thing for me personally. To tie her up, but what I loved about it was the transformation in her, and how how she loved it, and loved the exchange. And um, right. So, so, but I'm going to ask you though, even so, within that, you were also receiving. Well, I I was like I was saying, this was extremely nuanced, and it was very clear to me because of the nature of that exchange where the control really lies and it's not in the person doing the tying. Well, that depends. It could be or it could not be. Well, it, it depends was, it upon was, the was, dynamics and what's happening in that moment between those people. Well, mm-hmm. it, it's a movement back and forth. But because mm-hmm. of my love for her and my respect for her being, 
I was tracking her response every step of the way so that I wouldn't be, because we'd never talked about this, okay? This was totally spontaneous and totally spur of the moment. And it was as much, it was an exploration for me. It's like, I really need to know what's okay for her. And in no way violating her integrity at any level. Um, And so really she was in charge. Correct. And that's something that, yeah, that's something that a lot of people struggle to understand. That people think that because a certain act is occurring, that that the person who seems to be in the bottom position is practicing submission. But as you just explained, that's not always the case. As a matter of fact, the person who seems to be on top can be the one practicing more of the submission than the person who's on bottom. Because it just depends upon the energy exchange. If the person on the bottom chooses to be in an energy space of what is subspace, okay, then they are acting as a submissive. If the person on top chooses to be in the space of dominant space, then, you know, then they are in the act of dominance. Okay. Um, having, and this is all about give and receive, we have to remember. Okay. Submissive doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean it's subservient either. These are all really subtle energies to explore. So the person who is truly acting as the dominant is being given by the other person, or person, doesn't matter, um, you know, they're being given the permission to run with and be in charge of at least the majority of the energy. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Right. So, for instance, I used to have a friend who, when I met her, she identified as a switch. I read her energy right away, and I knew she was a dog. But there was no, like, submissive to her. And what a dominant really is is more of a leader. It doesn't mean that, you know, this is not going to be a person who's overbearing. This is not going to be a person who, you know, um you know, is more like, okay, Donald Trump, I guess you could say. (laughs) They're not a taker, in other words, right? They also are a giver. Um, And the way these energies are, oh, my God, it's just a dynamic (laughs) between the people. It has to do with a lot of different dynamics. But essentially, neither person is really in charge completely at any given moment in certain ways. Um, but to be the submissive, yes, it is to say, okay, I have this much trust in you. And depending upon your dynamic and how long you've known each other and levels of trust and all of these different things, the person who's acting as a submissive can be more and more submissive, right? Um, which is why it's really important, especially in these types of situations, to really, you know, work on and talk about and 
make sure that in a lot of ways this is a person that you have a lot of trust in. You know, this person, um, a dominant person, usually someone who's a learned person, um, is very good at reading energy, is, you know, good at a lot of different things. Um, <laughs> things that you can, you know, more or less trust in. Or even if they're not, maybe they're newer, but they're open and they're honest about that. That's okay, too, right? So, um, going back to, so my friend, okay, so my friend kept saying, yeah, but you know, I'm a masochist. I really like to be whipped. And I said, well, yeah, but that doesn't mean that you're submissive. And she kept, you know, she had all of these boys. She was heterosexual, and she had all of these boys that she would play with and she would dominate, and they were all masochists, and they were very much into S&M. Um, but she would then find these other guys who were dominant, or at least top, and, you know, they would try to lend to her, you know, what is like this submissive structure to get her into the right energy spaces, and she just couldn't do it. She just, that part, she didn't feel comfortable with, she didn't, you know, and she said, well, well, I just want to, you know, I want to sort of like let go when I am being whipped. So, because I kept trying to tell her, you need to get one of these other guys who's a submissive, to whip you, <laughs> you know, and whatever you like. Um, she eventually did that because her energy just naturally sort of ran the show in certain ways. It just sort of did. But it didn't mean that you can't let go because even if you're in a space with that and you're in a really, really trusting space with whomever you're playing with, um, what happens is, the dominant too has you know can eventually really let go. Okay, that is like the ultimate goal <laughs> because then you're really really in that space and it becomes even more of like this perfect sort of exchange of energy. It's very difficult to convey verbally or written word. Um. And it's something that can just be experienced. And so as I'm describing this, I hope a lot of people who have experienced Tantra or learned some things about Tantra can understand how BDSM is can be very tantric. It's all about energy. And it's not, and we will say, or people that engage in it, because I'm not really engaging in it anymore, um, they, but people who do will say, you know, that it's not about sex. That sex can be added into it, certainly. But you can practice this without it being sexual. And the same can be said about Tantra. And how do you I think you've had some experiences with Tantra that way. Well, my, my spiritual path uh, of, is a stream of Sufi practice that isn't tied to any particular faith tradition uh, and what was brought from India in the early part of the 20th century by Hazrat and Ayat Khan was very well laundered of religious and cultural accretions. And he really built up a, a new structure and mode of approach based
based on what Westerners need. And uh, the, so my, um, as I've been approaching and working with a local Tantra teacher who has, um, is a lineage holder in a stream of yoga Tantra uh, from India and is heavily um, cross-currented with uh, Kashmir Shaivism, which is, as it turns out, a very, um, or as, as it's come to him, a very patriarchal kind of framework. The my spiritual training and where I'm interfacing with this Tantra teacher is that uh, sexuality is an important but not the primary focus. It's a spiritual path in which everything in the stuff of life is the fuel for the spiritual journey. And that includes sexuality, and it includes um, perforce, uh, because cultures are cultures, um, peeling mm-hmm. back and exfoliating ourselves of the layers of conditioning and shame and wounding and blah, blah. That just has to be uh, a major uh, part of the, right. the journey. And I, I want to distinguish that from some other forms of yoga where there's uh, a fairly um, fairly distinct dualism in both the philosophy and the practice. Dualism between matter and spirit and sacred and profane. And uh, so I just wanted to say that in regard to what Tantra actually is. And because we're, I think we're so uh, sexually wounded and, and especially so puritanical in uh, America and to a somewhat lesser extent um, other European-derived cultures, there's this emphasis on sexuality, which in its original embedding is it's not so prominent. And I suppose it has to be in this culture because we are so deeply fragmented and deeply wounded with mm-hmm. regard to sexuality and what's okay and what's not okay and what's normal and what's not normal and, and just deconstructing that whole conversation down to the level of uh, our conditioning around it. So I have... right. Cutting, right. cutting to the Which chase, is why it's absolutely to... used. It's really useful in our culture to do this, yeah. you know, yeah. with guidelines, of course, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, yeah, because there's a lot of people. I mean, you know, there are teachers, and I use that term loosely, um, <laughs> who really, I can see, you know, I mean, I see a lot of these people on meetups who are offering, you know, tantra meetups and stuff. There are good ones. Don't get me wrong. Um, but there are some where, you know, I look at it and I and I sort of, I see how they describe things and, you know, I've had some conversations with them 
Um, because before I go into something like that, I want to, you know, check things out or whatever. Sometimes, you know, they might have an orientation where you can do that and, and things like that. Sometimes not. But some of them are, you know, and I don't know if they're consciously aware of this or not, but they're really manipulative. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're really doing it out of a space of, you know, oh, I want to be this leader and I basically want to have sex with everybody and I want everybody to look up to me and put me on this pedestal. You know, and then what yeah. happens is yeah. the exchanges that the people are getting within that context are largely unhealthy. And mm-hmm. I will say that most of these ones tend to be male. No, <laughs> not always. Because I've actually seen some female ones too, who um, you know, are in charge of some of these groups, and they're really playing into a lot of um, exploitive things. Um, and they and they can be very subtle. It's like forming a cult if you will. For instance, um, in a lot of these groups, you know, so not necessarily even tantra-specific groups, but, you know, groups that are around sexuality and exploring your sexuality. Um, Again, I'm very much an advocate of um, not being judgmental and not you know, just because I don't like something doesn't mean that somebody else can't and, you know, all of that as long as it is healthy. That's the key word. We really need to explore what is healthy and what is not healthy. Okay. And those things can be quite subtle. But when you refuse to recognize that there are such things as porn addiction, that there are there is such a thing as sex addiction, Okay, these things exist. Um, that there are, you know, certain aspects of sexuality that are more dangerous to your health. You know, um, and okay, trigger warning here for sure, but that's one of them. I'm not judging people that might be into that. Okay, whatever floats your boat. But if you know, at the same time, it's like, well, okay. It's something that is, we stay away from it because it has all kinds of germs and things and, you know, it's just, can give you hepatitis and all sorts of, very easily, actually, you know. <laughs> um, it's probably not the healthiest thing to be doing. Um, you know, some, it, I've never met a grouper that was kind of okay, but, you know, again, they still have that thing. Standpoint, um, but, but they do. That there are certain people where they're just like, oh, everything's just okay, but they don't really. I I feel like there's a lack of responsibility, a lack of responsibility about having classes about how to handle things, and you know, other than consent and consensuality, okay, in ways that. It, or, well, hey, you know, are you being addictive? Is your whole life, you know, or the majority of your life surrounded by sex and your sexuality? Or do you have a balance in your life? Right? 
and are, or are you binging and purging or, you know, things like this. What does it look like to have that balance with ourselves? What does it look like? And, and I see so many people not exploring this because they're so busy wanting to explore sexuality. And then I see a lot of people going into these pitfalls on the other side of it, right? Because they're doing things like they're looking to other people for their identification. That's a popular one. Hmm. Within, you know, like open sexuality type movements and organizations and stuff. That's a really popular one. And it's grossly unhealthy. It's very codependent, just like any other type of codependent. And when it becomes, you know, you become dependent upon it, that's when it becomes unhealthy, just like anything else. Okay? As pure identity, as, you know, attachment, et cetera. Okay? That's not healthy. It's just not. Mm. And then it can grow and it can get to be something that gets quite ugly. You know? Because a lot of times when people get into a space where they're, you know, they become really addicted, just like when you're addicted to a drug or something, you know, where they want to feed that high. Right? I have seen this particularly with masochistic people too. Okay? They want to feed this high. And so they do things that are more and more and more, you know, walking the line between danger or not, right? Having unprotected sex just because they really, really want sex and there's this person who's talking them into it. You know, not taking their time to get to know a person, not building up, you know, a certain amount of trust, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you're playing with some things then that can be quite dangerous. But one of them is not absorbing other people's energy, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> no, I guess I do laugh at that um, You know, we can always Somehow absorb other people's energy And sometimes we do Sexuality doesn't have a license on that Okay And if we're doing that Well, it's because we're acting in some ways, energetically and so forth, um, in ways that are unhealthy for us. And really it's about our energy. The more self-loving, the more self-aware that we are, okay, the more that we don't do that. Because we don't take on other people's energies as our own. Well, I, I think there's a distinction between... Uh, what's healthy and unhealthy. And just taking that totally out of the conversation of right and wrong and, you know, all of that Mm -hmm. culturally relativistic stuff. It has nothing to do with that. There is that of us. There are things that we do that are in alignment with the inherent subtle structure of the soul, shall we say, and what supports our uh, 
what supports our clarity, what supports our uh, sovereignty, what supports our spiritual evolution as individuals, and what doesn't. And there are things that don't. And I'm not going to, I'm not here to make any judgments about what in particular those are uh, because it's not specific acts. It's relative to uh, right. what, right. who each one of us is and our purpose in this incarnation. And, and it's all, of, it's about self-knowledge. And a lot of people simply don't have that self-knowledge and they um, they limit themselves and wound themselves uh, in ways that could be avoided if they had a deeper sense and a subtler sense of their own um, of their own being right which is exactly why I get into, you know, having people to start out with masturbation before they, you know, really, really start to explore their sexuality in whatever ways that they would like um, with other people. Because it's that whole inward thing. It's just, you know, it's really not that different from, you know, how we generally go about our spirituality. I lost my collar, I guess, because we went five minutes over the first hour. Um, <laughs> I was kidding, too. answering that call. Um, oh, well. Anyway, um, right. So it's just, again, like anything else. You know, there's that energy of really um, exploring the self first. Really, really getting to be self-aware. Um understanding, you know, who we are and then understanding who we are within the context of, you know, a bigger reality, the collective, uh, and then taking that somewhere in the healthiest way possible. And knowing that we're going to be challenged and knowing, you know, I mean, we do this all the time. We do this, you know, when we go to work, if we have a job or, you know, we do this when, you know, we're dealing with our family structures, we're doing, you know, we're just... We're always working on it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> I think we talked about a lot of stuff today. Um, I do have, I only ended up getting one question in an email, and I did want to address it. It's a little bit of a heavy subject, and so I'm going to read it to the two of you. Um. The question is, how does the experience of being raped, especially in the belief system of being taught to be pure and wait until marriage, how does this affect one's spirit? How does the soul experience trauma or, or experience trauma of sexual nature, and how does one get their power back? And an individual, especially one who's experienced sexual trauma, but go of a former belief system that are dictated by a patriarchal society, how does that change one's spirit? Personally, I find the recovery is slow and it's got ups and downs. But one's inner self learns to come out of its cage and evolves into a powerful force. There are a lot of questions here. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah. I've got a couple of things to say in, in that regard. Uh, with okay. the proviso, um, picture me raising my right hand, copying a plea. I have not been raped. Um, I have. I did have an experience hitchhiking many years ago when it was clear to me after a few miles down the road of um, the driver had picked me up. But really, he, he just wanted me to watch him masturbate. And we are tooling along at 70 miles an hour, and he's beginning to, to pull his pants down. And I basically said, look, if you get come on me, I'm going to pull this car over and rearrange your face. And so he let me out at the next off ramp in the middle of nowhere. And that wasn't the worst part of it, even though it took me four or five hours to get another ride. Um, I just had this feeling of being slimed. And I had this rage welling up in me. And it was all I Mm -hmm. could do as he drove off to not pitch a rock through his back window. And I just, I just, it was such a ghastly feeling. I can't describe it. I mean, saying that I felt slime, I felt dirty. Right. And that's true. It's about, yeah, because that's what happens when, because really, rape, because I would say that you did experience a form of sexual assault. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Even, even though yeah, he, never, he didn't touch me. sexual assault is sexual assault. Right. He didn't touch me physically, but um, it took me quite some time to release myself from that. Now, I didn't picture it as, as you know, as sexual assault. I just didn't have the language for it. But um, mm-hmm. um, I mean, thank you for that, actually. And uh, so what I can say about that with regard to spirituality and how to release oneself, really any any impression that, okay, the soul being like the purest, spring water and it takes on the contour and color it appears to take on the contour and color of the container and if the container is clear there'll be this you know it, it passes light transparently and if there's uh, you know fingerprints and dirt and peanut butter and what have you on the surface there's all of these obscurations the soul looking out through the container will think that it's the obscurations and the container and not itself. Mm -hmm. And from that perspective, uh, releasing oneself of a sexual trauma is in principle really no different than releasing oneself of any impression or obscuration that involves uh, threat to one's physical well-being. So, um, right. in, so more importantly, in certain... and, and I'm going to interrupt okay, here because more importantly than the physical well-being, because what, like you said, this guy didn't actually do anything to you physically. 
if he did something to you emotionally. Well, and he did something to me emotionally, and he did something to me subtle energetically. There was a penetration there mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Um, that there wasn't consent for, and that it, in a certain way it was a an owning a, a a taking over of something which properly belongs to me. Exactly, and, and I want to point something out because this is very interesting. You know, no offense to men at all, but this is something that as someone who is in a female body, we experience almost every day, over yeah. and over and over again. And over again. And it, it was right. like this, the, the light going on in my consciousness when I realized that most women do not feel safe in their persons. Right. Um, And the pressure that so many women feel, that that's always in the background or sometimes even in the foreground, depending on their level of wounding and what they've taken on and what they've... Mm -hmm. um, you know, and um, I just have to say, oh, my God, I had no idea. Right. I know. I know. And, I mean, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, really. I really wouldn't. Um, but it's, it was, I think, in a way, very fortunate for you to have had that experience. You know. It was a blessing because in in, yeah, in a very like odd everything. way. Yeah. Right. You know, and I'm a person I was raped by. Um and of course I did the thing where, you know, it was my fault. I was young both times. Mm-hmm. Um you know, once I was the first time I was fourteen years old and I ran away from home. I ran away from home because the guilt that I felt was so horrid. And all I could imagine was my parents making me feel more guilty. Mm-hmm. And so the, the pain that I had experienced from the rape was amplified by this fear of what my parents would think. And knowing that I couldn't just hold it in, right? And being, I beat up on myself for years. And then I got, I actually, when I first got into, you know, the kink world, as it were, I had a huge chip on my shoulder, not just because of rape experiences, but also because of the experiences of, um, you know, of just, like you said, the constant emotional stuff of being in a female body. Um, so when I first went into it, I actually did so for really unhealthy reasons, um, if you will. But what it really boiled down to was I wanted to have pe- I wanted to interact with people still sexually because it was a desire. But I wanted people to be in a safe space. 
for me. And I grew through that, most definitely. Um, and on some levels, I was pretty honest about that. You know? As honest as I could be from where I was. So that's the thing, too. We really have to work from the space of where we are in this now. There is no right or wrong with it, right? We're all where we are, and so we all need to explore from that space. That is, by the way, I'm I'm working on an article right now about acceptance. This is part of the essence of acceptance. If I can accept where I'm at in my space right now, okay, in this moment of whatever it is that I'm dealing with, I've got nowhere to go. So we may feel like, and I have felt like this throughout my life, but we may feel like, you know, oh, you know, it's the patriarchy. Yes. Okay. But... The patriarchy is this huge monster, if you will. It's, it's you know, bigger than the flying spaghetti monster. <laughs> it reminds me of the flying spaghetti monster. And here I laugh. Because I vowed several years back to not have a space of resistance to the patriarchy. Whatever we're in resistance to persists. But part of that was accepting that I am living in a society run by patriarchal values, largely. I can't change that from the space of resistance, and I certainly can't change me and get me into a healthy space within that context by being resistant. So that when I run across situations like you did, Hafizula, or, you know, somebody saying to me on, you know, or saying something really highly sexist to me, I don't get triggered. Because I worked those triggers. And I worked them really hard. And I've talked about it before how to work those triggers. Sometimes we may not know a trigger is coming and we may be exploring something sexually and it happens. That's okay. When dealing with and in dealing with my experiences with rape, so, you know, I put myself in a situation where I felt like people were safe. I explored, I still continue to explore my sexuality because one of the things that I was resolved by was to decide that you may have hurt me, you, I may be experiencing PTSD, but I will be damned if you're going to take my sexuality away from me. If you're going to take my ability to experience pleasure away from me, mm-hmm. I will find a way to experience that anyhow. Right? That's me. Not everybody is me. Okay? So there are a lot of ways that you can go with okay? Um, but I will say, one of the first ways is, you know, to find your spaces of resistance, recognize them, at least vow to and manifest ways to not be in resistance to what you actually want. Because in the way that this person is asking this question, what I feel is, you know, the reason she's even asking it is because she wants better. She wants more. 
Mm. You know, she, wants, she has yeah. desires. She wants love. She wants to feel physical love. And sometimes she's struggling with that. You know, and part of the reason is because of faith. But we're all unique, and what that means for us and how that's going to manifest for us is going to be different. Okay? I'm this person who has always sort of been like, I am a warrior, you know. And I'm a lot less that way, actually, now. Um, (laughs) I used to be when I was younger. Um, But not everybody, you know, has that uh, constituency, I suppose you could call you know, some people need things to be softer and gentler for them. Um, I do recommend that, yeah, you should work with a therapist because there are certain things that a therapist can do. Um, find yourself also, when you're ready, after you're to a certain point with a therapist, find yourself a really awesome coach. You know, because coaches are very active and how we go about helping you get things that you want, right? And when I, I know when I work with people, I work with them on a very individual basis. I feel their energy. I hear what they're saying to me. Um, you know, there's a time that, you know, it's time for you to act, and a time that it's not time for you to act. And, you know, you have to deal with, like, what's going on in that moment of now. So constantly being critical of yourself and breaking causes to being very critical of ourselves. Matter of fact, it almost always does. Okay. And it, that's not useful, but it's okay to be at the same time because it's okay to say it's it's not about thinking positively. It's about accepting that I'm being very critical. Being very critical of myself. And that's okay. It's a trigger when you're being critical of yourself. Because obviously then you're thinking about and working with things that you don't want. Like being critical of yourself, right? And so that's one one subtlety within, you know, this whole complex thing. But it's also an opportunity if we align with whatever we align with as a challenge. And sometimes things like this can be really hard to see. But it is an opportunity. Because that that does not kill me will only make me grow stronger. That's true. Not to be so cliche, but I am. I am being right now. Anyway, so, Laura, Ooh. is there anything you would like to say about maybe some of your experiences with some of these things? <laughs> I'm just completely blown away at the moment, excuse me. <laughs> I'm blown away by the entire conversation. I'm blown away by Happy's beautiful story about subtle energy exchange. And I'm blown away by your explanations of the subtleties of dominance and submission and the myths around that. I'm just... Mm -hmm. I feel... Like I've never heard a more open conversation about 
sexuality and spirituality before in my life. So I don't feel I can come up with any any stories right now. <laughs> I'm, 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 I feel like like I'm in like some sort of spa or sauna and just in the bath and just enjoying this conversation. <laughs> Um, But then saying that, no, something does come to mind. I used to have a lot... Well, I'm a very creative person, so I'm used to working with my creative energy. And I remember when I was younger, I used to have a lot of sex. It was kind Mm -hmm. of like half course really being an artist and all these sensual pleasures you know and I still I'm working through a lot of energy right now and I met someone a few weeks ago and we had a great conversation and we're both creative and I could feel all this attraction I was also working on centering myself and my heart and what I noticed was that the sexual energy that I felt, it, it wasn't all sexual energy. There was a little bit of it, but it was mostly creative energy. And so that's what I want to talk about, actually, is I, I wanted you to talk about okay. how sexual energy is creative energy. Um, well, we can do that. Um, yeah. First, we actually have a call in. Um, So I'm going to write that down as something we will talk about here in a minute. Um, But I do want to take this person's question before we do that. Okay? (laughs) Hello? Hello. Hi. 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 How are you today? I'm fine. How are you? Who am I speaking to, please? This is Annette. Hi, Annette. Hi. Hello. Hi. How are everyone's well today? I hope. Very well, thank you. Good. Good. I I just I want to thank you for your show today. Um, It has it it has really um um really uh, piqued my curiosity because I have not been intimate in about fifteen years. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I adapted this 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 attitude that you have to have sex before marriage or commitment. That you shouldn't have sex before marriage or commitment. Which I don't know where that came from, um, but that has definitely changed. I feel like I am <laughs> really starting to open up and. The juices are flowing, and the energy is truly rising in me. And I've never felt this way. Oh my God! I'm so in a long time. Yeah, I can really hear that. So true. And and yes. as it should be, as it yeah. should be. Yeah. It is powerful, but it's not crazy. But it there is a desire in me that's like I really just want to have sex with someone. Well, not just anyone. But sure. <laughs> the energy is there for me to have this. And I'm accepting this. 
because I've kept myself. Well, there was other things that were going on within the last 15 years, but I was not open to any type of intimate or sexual relationship. But now I am. I really am. I mean, today I'm standing in line in, in McDonald's, and right when I walked through the door, there was a, a man who had to be about maybe six, six four, six five, mm-hmm. and all I could see was the back of him, and he was absolutely, oh my God, beautiful, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, right? <laughs> I was like. I mean, I just felt this energy just starting to rise in me, and I'm like, so this is what it is to to have an attraction. This is what it is mm-hmm. to have a sexual vibe, and it was just, I oh my gosh, I couldn't. <laughs> I think this is so oh my wonderful. gosh, that's the sacral chakra lighten up. <laughs> oh boy, was it ever. But right. also with that, also with that opening up, scene has been dormant for so long mm-hmm. that I'm writing erotica. That I'm like, okay, right. where is this coming from? I mean, and it's really, really good. It's really good. Get that published. We're gonna see it. Yes, it's like the creative side of me is coming out in a in a sexual way, and I'm like, this is really. Really pretty good, and this is never this has right. never happened to me before, ever. It has it has such great beauty and aliveness. This is your this is your this is your life force, and yeah. you know I don't know where we get all this claptrap about, you know how we have to wait and blah blah. Basically, it's just it's just patriarchal control of mm-hmm. women's prerogative, you know reproductive prerogatives and. You know, yeah. who gets the, you know, where, where the, where the genes go, mm-hmm. um, and I mean that's the short answer, to, but that doesn't really help us in mm-hmm. much in, in kind of releasing ourselves of the self-imposed um, structures. Mm, but yes. this, you know, as a spiritual teacher. I will tell you this. What you're experiencing is your divine life force. Yes. Drink yes. it up. Yes. Glory I, I in am. Because we're, oh, my God, we are only here for a few breaths. Mm-hmm. And our purpose, I don't know about learning lessons. I think, frankly, I think that's pop spirituality. But we are definitely mm-hmm. here to experience these human lives with uh, with as much depth and poignancy as we possibly can. And that yeah. doesn't mean that doesn't mean hedonism. Right. Right. Hedonism is actually is right. actually an right. is actually an escape from really confronting our mortality. Mm. Um, so it's that creative it's that movement, it's that dance between the edge of mortality and the edge of our boundlessness. You know, it's between those edges that our lives move. Yes. And I am, I, I am so happy to hear you um, claiming 
your aliveness in this world. Yes. Yes. I I would just as a sidelight, I would recommend that you find a coach uh mm-hmm. who can help you stay out of the worst of the dead ends that yes. uh that will open up for you and invite you um mm-hmm. as you mm-hmm. continue your um your unfoldment. Yeah. There are there, there is avoidable pain mm-hmm. in in that conversation. And yes. there's unavoidable pain. Mm. Um, and the pain is part of it too. It's not to avoid that, but to avoid the uh, and and just self discovery. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and there aren't any rules. There aren't any rules. Okay. There are no rules. There's just what works for you, and it's a discovery, and you're going to make some mistakes, mm-hmm. and go for it. Yes. Yes. Because it's interesting because I felt like this energy that really that has awakened in me and it started last year is interesting because mm-hmm. it could have blown outward where I could right. have attracted um people and things that probably would not have been healthy for me. But I felt like the energy went upward, which opened up a creative side of me that I never right, thought that exactly. I had. That is what in Tantra, okay, so when we utilize that energy is um, what they call a Shakti. Mm-hmm. It's more of bringing that creative energy forth and inward and then out. Mm. Yes. So, right. So that when we're talking about the sexual aspect of it, um, so as women, we're often told we're just only supposed to have inward orgasms. Mm-hmm. There are times that it's very appropriate to have outward orgasms as well. Yes. You know, depending upon how we're working our energy, right? And it's very yes. interesting because this goes along with Floor wanting to talk about utilizing that energy for creativity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think she yes. might be yes. able to carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And like I said, I never knew. I mean, people say, oh, you, you know, you should write, you know, I feel your energy, you, sh- you should write, I feel you're writing. I never thought erotic. Never crossed my right. mind. But I'm really pretty good at it. <laughs> I mean, the details and everything, and I'm like, it, I really feel like it's channeled. It's it's strange, but I feel like it's channeled because once I start writing it, I mean, I mean, I can see everything happening right in front of me. It's, I feel like I'm watching. Right, and now you, and now you're very aware of why artists tend to be highly sexual people. Yes. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. 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 I get it. Yeah. It's yeah. because it's like they're they're constantly feeding on and creating that energy. In order to also feed, you know, their other aspects of creativity, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Again, I've always you been know, a it's about maintaining yeah. some sort of a balance, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. I could write yeah. that, but all, there are other things I like to do that's creative as well. But I think because I've been, because I've kind of shut down that part of me for 15 years and, I mean, because there were things I needed to take care of. I needed to go inward, and it never—it just never bothered me. I thought it was, hey, it's okay, you know. This is what I need to heal. There's some things I need to heal, 
but when it opened oh, yeah, no, up, I've it kind of opened up very, slowly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've been a very sexual person for most of my adult life, but there have definitely been times, you know, where I, there was once I consciously went for two years, I didn't even masturbate at all. Um, But I was consciously doing that and not from the space that said, I will never be sexual again. Right. It was just from the space of saying, I need to heal right now. Yes. I need, you know, some other things instead of like, having my energy be outward, but like you said, more inward. Yes. Oh, yes. You know, and even here recently I went through, you know, a stint with that as well. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting, too, because even back when, so people, you know, I used to be a professional dominatrix, and so people think that, oh, you know, that I was a prostitute. Well, Mm -hmm. no. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I was a teacher. And I did not engage in any type of intercourse, yeah, with the people that would come to me. Um, And, again, it wasn't really about sexuality, but Mm -hmm. it was more me helping them and coaching Mm -hmm. them and showing them themselves. And, you know, the dominance and submission aspect were, you know, just a vehicle of that. Yes. If you will. Wow. So... Yeah, wow. and I would also teach actual Tantra at times through that, too. And oftentimes, that's what I would do. I would um, just start people out, have them engage, especially male people. So mm-hmm. Male people in our society are uh, often taught that, you know, the only sort of orgasms that they can have are outward. Mm-hmm. And that's what's appropriate for them, right? Right. So they need to learn inward. Um, and so I'd have them, like, actually engage in, whatever, you know, certain types of creativity. And it didn't matter if they were good at it or not, you know, but some sort of painting or writing, you know, whatever they felt like. Um, and utilizing that energy, like you said, inward, and then bringing it out as, you know, creativity and seeing how that felt for them mm-hmm. to begin with. Wow. Mm-hmm. Right. So and it was they were always quite amazed by it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course, you know, I'm I'm very good at helping people with energy. Um that's <laughs> part of what we do as teachers, right? Yes. Well this this show has really it's just I mean, it's perfect. The timing is, is just right and you know, it's it's like I said, you know, I was married for, for seventeen years and the energy, and the, I, I feel like it's a fire. I've never yeah. felt before. I have never felt this before. And like what's fire. interesting is that it's, it's somehow controlled. It's, it's somehow controlled, but not in a bad way. It's just I'm just very conscious of it. Um, because right. I can, that's all I, you have I, to be. There's no actual yeah. right, right trying to control it. Yeah. Right, because yeah. if you try to control it, that's when you get into all of this suffering and judging and all exactly, of this madness yes. with it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I know that I... It's control that allows you control, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's not like all over... It's not, not, all, it's not like it's all over the place, but it's, it's, it's just interesting because I think this summer is going to be a really good summer. It's going to be a very interesting summer. It's probably the best time I've ever had. Um, 
because I feel like I'm just relaxing into this this part of me that I felt needed to be controlled. Right, and it was in the way of you being able to manifest anything that you wanted. Yes. Right. So, you know, our sexuality as being a part of our creativity Mm -hmm. is very important in being in touch with if we're going to actually manifest what it is we truly want. That's true. We're really going to love ourselves. But it's also a connection with my spirituality, too. Mm-hmm. Of course. Well, it's mm-hmm. all connected. Right. Yeah, it, 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 it yeah. really is. And I, I feel like I've never felt more grounded. And it's just, it's, mm-hmm. I just love the fact that, it, that I've, I'm accepting it and that I'm opening up to it and that it's in balance. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. just, like I said, I'm just excited as to what is going to happen next. Um, I love her. Yeah, I really am because it 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 it's going to be life changing in a very good way. Absolutely, I can feel it too. Yeah, it's already yeah. it's already life changing. The cat's yeah. already out of the bag. The worms are yes. out of the can. Yeah, they aren't going back in. No, because you can't you can't right. unsee what I you've know. seen about yourself. That's true. I mean, think about it. Within a year, you've gone from being completely decided to not be sexual at all to writing erotica, which you've discovered you're really good at. Yeah. Within yeah. a year. From yeah. going inward and exploring all that energy mm-hmm. you have. Mm-hmm. And that's just yeah. that's just wonderful. And I yeah. can hear you. You feel vibrant. You sound alive. You sound I inspired. Am. You're in oh, love with life. In love mm-hmm. with yourself. Yes. Yeah, yes. you have that life force. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And I and know that channeling. others, others, others are, I mean, they're noticing it too. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm. And it's nice because I feel like I have, I, I, I have, I can choose. I can pick and choose. Before, I, I just had to go along because I didn't think that I had the ability to choose. But now I feel like I can pick and choose. Right, and exactly. I like that. It's, it's about being you know, authentic mm-hmm. to yourself. Yes, yes. Instead That's of just taking what's really what coming to you. Yes, instead mm-hmm. of just taking what what comes, you can the say scratch. no. Right, exactly. And that's interesting as well. Is to be in the flow does not mean to be out of control. Mm. Because mm-hmm. I think we're so afraid to lose that control. Yes, yes. And mm-hmm. we think that it. Good for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's a myth. You know. And well, when I'm, yeah, because the, the thing flow, is, is that yeah, we can have to love our whole being in its totality. I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> when we right? start to go, I know this through doing creative activities and sex and etc. but when we start to enter that flow, it can be scary. Mm-hmm. Yes. It oh, can yeah. trigger a lot of mm-hmm. stuff. And I do understand what you're saying about going inward and it being a healing process. Because it's about feeling it and trusting it and mm-hmm. nurturing it. Yes. Yeah. And stepping and we, into it. Yes, and stepping into it and yeah. being who we are. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be an interesting summer. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you so much for this for this show. It has really it's absolutely beautiful. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Many blessings all right. to you all. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Annette. Thank you so much for coming. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello. Hello. We're back. <laughs> what a lovely, lovely woman. What a wonderful, wonderful mm. experience. I'm Isn't so happy for her. I, I yeah. God. I'm inspired now. <laughs> I'm so inspired Are now. You? Ah! <laughs> yeah. I've got all this energy now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's our job, isn't it? To inspire people. To have people. I mean, when people ask me what it is that I do for a living, or often than not, my response is, I help people to fall madly in love with themselves. I have the best mm-hmm. job in the world. And it's true. We, you know, and we inspire and, people and they inspire us right back. It's just beautiful. Exactly. I'm crying now. <laughs> That's mm. why it's the best job in the world. Mm. <laughs> it gets so exciting. It's like an angel got her wings, right? Yeah. Not that we were having the, you know, with her, but you know. <laughs> Uh, I think that her right. question kind of mm-hmm. answered my question. That was very I think important. So too. Yeah. Mm. That's why you said you must be psychic, huh? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little. Just a little. <laughs> right. That was like perfect timing. Absolutely. So, did we have anything else that either one of you wanted to share? Because we have about 15 minutes left. Anything, you know, pressing or burning? Anything like that? Not that we would... If I did, then we'd probably get into a half an hour conversation about it. So <laughs> I think I'm happy with what That's okay. talked about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we can go for however long is left on the show. That's fine. I find I like ideas. So wait a minute. Did we finish answering the question? I think we did, right? I think we did. There's also a thing. We were talking earlier about energy and about being an empath as well. And Mm -hmm. I believe I have this thing called synesthesia, which is where your senses can blend together. Like, you know, an example would be Kandinsky who paints music. Mm-hmm. It would be the ability of artists to portray senses other than sound, right? Which makes art great. It's that it's mm-hmm. that blending of the senses. It really stimulates us. It really makes us take notice. It really speaks to life force in us. And I forget what I was going to say. Um. Well, isn't that what makes great art, though? I want to say that earlier you were saying that some people will eat instead of have sex, but what I'm going to say is the opposite of that. 
I don't eat when I want to have sex. I have sex or I masturbate. But I have this thing mm-hmm. with of my other senses that can actually stimulate an erotic feeling in me, like with food. To me, food is so sexual. Even, you know, the smell of petrol does something to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I want to do. I want to talk about sensuality. Well, I but that's the thing is that, that's like that, yeah. So okay, so, right, that's not yeah. very unusual at all. And let me tell you, if you think about the word fetish, okay, mm. so if we, the fetish can be, you can have non-sexual fetishes. But people often have sexual fetishes is what I'm talking about. <laughs> So these are usually things that are like an object or, like you said, or a smell or, um, you know, I mean, even like if somebody's fixated on a certain body part like ears, like have an ear fetish, right? It's like that thing where if it's a sexual fetish, what it does is um, it stimulates your sexuality. Mm-hmm. So foods like that for you, or like you said, the smell of gasoline. And I think that we all have those things. Well, right. we do, like, for include me, those intellect things, is like even that. in vanilla sex, even in vanilla sex, you know, like, and your partner gives you a nice sensual massage with aromatherapy and right. body butter and things like, oh, some people might use chocolate paint on their body or... You know, you right. might have a romantic dance with music and right. low light. And so, right. and you just so yeah, we do include so that, some people it's a little bit more, you know, right. festive. But what, that's what we're talking about here. Right. What yeah. we're talking about here today on the show is there's no right or wrong, right? So yeah. we have that's things that people tell us we're supposed to associate with sex. And that's seen mm-hmm. as being normal. Yeah. But people don't just associate those things that are prescribed to them with sex. I knew a guy that associated plastic with sex, believe it or not. Mm. I mean, yeah. You know, I've I've known people that, I mean, I've known thousands and thousands. I've worked with all sorts of people from all different sorts of backgrounds and, you know, different sexual orientations, gender orientations, on and on and on. Um, who, you know, they have their own things. We call them kinks when they're something that we think is outside of the norm. But is it really? You know? Mm. I mean, yeah. for me, you know, now we have a term for it, which is called sapiosexual. I forgot to add that into my sexuality because it's actually a very important part for me of my sexuality. Um, you know, I get seriously turned on when somebody's talking about physics to me, well, it's a combination of things. <laughs> but if it's somebody that I find their energy to be attractive anywho, and then they're talking about physics to me, I mean, I've been in rela- I'm always in relationships with highly intellectual people. Okay? Yeah, because nothing turns me on more than that. And in all actuality, this one's a little bit more, should be sort of more norm, I guess, if you would think. Um, 
yeah, because the thing is is that um, there's a very good theory. You know, I don't have time to describe all because we have eight minutes left, but there's a really good theory in anthropology um, that proposes that, you know, you know, especially the females themselves, because it's all done in a matter of heterosexuality, but um, that it um, proposes that women are attracted more to intellect than anything because it is, you know, our intellect that gives us more of an ability to, for our offspring to survive. Of course, it's all relative because if you're a person who has a sixth grade education, then a person with a high school diploma seems highly intellectual to you, right? So, um, And I haven't seriously explored researching that. I would love, I wonder if somebody's done a research, some kind of research around it. Um, I've seen small research models um, that, you know, they were just put out there as something to sort of consider to do, you know, some bigger research on. They probably didn't have a lot of money or something. Um, but, yeah, it's just, yeah, talk to me about physics, baby. I'd be like, <gasps> In in my, <laughs> I would actually do that with the people that I've been in relationships of many sorts with, you know. Maybe mm. say, you know, oh, I'm sort of in the mood, and oh, I'm really not in the mood. I don't really feel tired. Well, talk to me about this. They would talk to me about it for a few minutes, and I'd say, okay, I'm in the mood. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, we all have our things. As a dominant, something that used to turn me on, you know, was beg. Beg for my attention. I loved it when this was a beg. <laughs> you know, again, we all have different things. I mean, I'm not about that anymore. We all have different things that turn us on, and those things change. You know, some, for some people it's a color, right? Some people are more visual. Some people are less visual. Some people are more audio. And by the way, this whole thing about it being a male-female thing, I really looked around and I don't find that to be that linear. The audio and the visual thing. I have met plenty of women that are extremely visual when it comes to what they're attracted to in their sexuality. And I've met plenty of men that are very audio sick. You know? That's the type of the fetish when you think about it. Whisper sweet nothing is in my ears, in a way. <laughs> but it is some kind of signaling, do you know what I mean? That then provokes, yeah. and it doesn't even have to be something necessarily sexual. Many women, in particular, like hetero women in particular, you know, the guy that she likes might just have to whisper, I love you, and she's all a quiver. I love you isn't well, necessarily is, tied up in sex. You know? How are the senses related to sexuality apart from the obvious? You know, how is it to do with our life force, our spirituality? How how do they stimulate mm-hmm. our that sexual energy? You know, the wow, that's a huge subject. Yeah. Are you still with us? I am. 
I've Isn't just been enjoying it. We only have four minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah. what, what are you enjoying? I've just been enjoying like the, whole, the whole show, minutes. yeah, and the girl talk, and, you know, and it, um, uh, and I'm enjoying not having a lot to say. <laughs> and that's pretty yeah, unusual. That's pretty for, yeah, yeah. For you. said my piece. Well, I, I would like to add, uh, Kim, to your uh, kind of list of, mm-hmm. you know, find find the right healer, find the right coach, and find a find an authentic spiritual teacher. Now, I I realize mm-hmm. that, you know, some people have awakened significantly without the benefit of a tradition, but uh, the thing about having an actual living, an actual living teacher, mm-hmm. is that your teacher can navigate between the edges of what you think you want to know, based on who you think you are, and that's already. You know, that's right. basically what we call the but ego. But a lot of spiritual you know, you think, right, but a lot of spiritual coaches are just I am. Well, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Stay, stay yeah. with me here. Um, let me let me do my my, my little shtick. Um, okay. Navigate between the edges of what you think you want to know, and what you really need to know, mm. based right. on the teacher's actual experience and the accumulated practical wisdom of the tradition of what you need to know to release yourself of who you take yourself to be and that whole conversation. And well, I've been in a tradition in my last life, so I guess it me wonders if I should just invent it again. Anyone? Anyway, <laughs> you know, but I'm unusual and I get that. I really am. Yeah. I understand that. And for a long time, I was remiss. I was in a lot of pain because I couldn't find another teacher. Mm-hmm. And I looked really hard until I was basically told, you are the teacher. Um, and that you don't belong in any particular tradition. But I'm not everybody. So I would agree with you to an extent, but also there's that uniqueness. So, um, we have a minute left, so it's time to do our plug. I am Kim Gilster, the spiritual synergist. You can, and I am a life coach, a spiritual life coach. I can help you with just about anything. If not, um, I know somebody that can normally. Um, you know, you can book your first uh, 15 minute free consultation with me at kimgilster.com. Um, you can also find me on Facebook at Kim Gilster, the Spiritual Synergist, and on YouTube and Twitter, same thing, Kim Gilster, Spiritual Synergist. And Hafi Zula? I live Hello? in Seattle. I, uh, yeah, I live in Seattle. Okay. I'm a teacher, senior teacher, lineage holder in the Sufi tradition, and I do weekly classes. I travel different parts of the country giving uh, seminars and teachings. Um, you can 
find me on Facebook without looking too hard. And um, I am the servant of anyone who really wants to awaken. So. Awesome. And Fleur, is there anything else you want to say about you? Yes, I'm Fleur Dubois. And I'm a psychic, and you can find me on Facebook, Rainbow Garden Tarot. And I do Skype readings all over the world. And do come to me for a reading on your sexuality, if you would like to. I'm a long-term student mm-hmm. of Kim. Lovely. Um, we just and if, you're, and if you're local, come to Dreamgate Psychic Fairs and see me there in Wiltshire in the UK. And thank you very much for having me on the show. It's been wonderful. You're welcome. Truly Have wonderful. Have a lovely next couple of weeks, everyone. Yeah. You too.